in the midst of the storm, what do we do? I uh, want to encourage you today to open your heart and let the visual images. I have Rebecca, a friend of mine, coming to uh, paint for us today, and she's going to be kind of painting a living parable, an illustration of what we're talking about. But what we're going to consider today is what to do when you're caught in the middle of a scary, emotional, physical, or relational storm. What do you do when things just seem completely out of control around you and you're afraid? The forecast in your outline, if you want to follow along today, says this. One of the great realities of life, one of the great realities is that no one lives a storm-free existence. No one. We all have tough situations, every one of us. And if you're not in one now, you will be soon. It's just the reality. And when those tough situations come, and we're overwhelmed by that, sometimes we freak out, sometimes we fear, sometimes we even are tempted to lose faith. No one lives a storm-free existence. And since that's true, then we need to consider, well, what do you do? What do you do in the midst of those storms? And I want to look at this story in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus and his disciples are in the storm. And let's learn from them today. Matthew 8, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Verse 26, he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and, he was com- and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Just prior to this experience on the lake with the disciples in that boat, Jesus is involved in some very intense kingdom work. He's, he's involved in what he did all the time. But it was, a, it was an intense day. In verse 1 of this chapter, in chapter 8 of Matthew, Jesus heals a man of leprosy. A pretty cool deal. No small thing. And verse 5, a Roman centurion comes and asks Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus is amazed by this man's faith. And he, he speaks the word and this servant is healed even though Jesus didn't have to go to the guy. He just spoke the word. And, and at a distance, this man's servant was healed. In verse 14, Jesus and the guys end up at Peter's house. And as they walk in, they find out that uh, Pete's mother-in-law is sick with a fever in bed. And so Jesus went to her and touched her, and immediately the fever left. And so she got up and served them. And then to round out the day in the evening, we still find Jesus hard at work. Look at verse 16 and 17 in Matthew 8. It says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And so he's had a busy full day, lots of things happening, all the way into the evening. Jesus is doing God's work. It says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. It had been another amazing and exhausting day of kingdom work for Jesus. And don't miss this. Jesus was all God, but all man, all human. And so he was tired. And so he tells his disciples, we're going to go across the lake. And he gets in the boat with them. And they, they do sort of cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, the lake there is uh, also what's called the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, let me give you a little bit of information, just that I'll give you a picture of what this is like. It's about 12 miles long, about 6 miles wide, and it's 700 feet below sea level. Well, what does that matter? Well, because of its position, because of the way it was situated in that, uh, that land, the winds would blow off the hills, off the mountains into that lake, and, and uh, would bring about some pretty intense storms. And so Jesus tells the guys, let's get in the boat, let's go across to the other side, and he's tired. And he falls asleep in the boat when, without warning, a furious storm hits. 
Now here are a couple other things you need to know. These disciples, these guys had been on that lake. Most of them were fishermen. They'd been there many times before. And this is probably not the first storm they had experienced or seen. And generally in that day, when a fisherman saw a storm coming on the horizon, they would call it a day. They'd pull in their nets and they'd get out of there. Their, their nets were not made to handle that kind of weather. Their boats weren't made to handle that kind of weather. And so typically when they would see it, they would just say, okay, it's, let's call it quits, let's go in. But this storm catches them by surprise, and it was a perfect storm, a bad one. In fact, the phrase used here in verse 23 for furious storm in the original language of the Bible, in the Greek, is the word megaseismos, and it literally means great shaking. So this is a big storm. No ordinary storm. Waves are huge. Wind is horrible. And the disciples, they're, they're freaking out. They're in chicken little mode. You know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And, and they do what we would do. They would, you know, panic. They were in a, in a tense situation and feared for their lives. I, uh, quite a few years ago, was in a small plane, one of those little 14-seaters, and I flew from Burbank in Southern California to Bakersfield. And it was a little puddle jumper, and, and we, you go over the San Gabriel Mountains. We got out of the plane, and the weather was fine. By the time we got up and we hit the, uh, the, the mountain area, mountainous area, it, it was really rough. Um, I won't describe in gory detail how rough, but I will say this. There were six of, six of us on the plane, and we used all the bags on that plane. Uh, you know, the little, you know I'm talking about? Well, it was, I mean, I could have swore at times we were flying upside down, backwards. The pilot kept turning the lights on, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm you know, the outside on the wings. And I'm looking out the window thinking, what is he doing? Found out later he was checking for ice to make sure that they weren't icing up. And I mean, this plane was all over the place, and there wasn't a person. Somebody had garlic for dinner, that's all I can tell you. And it wasn't me. But uh, by the time that plane landed, I, I, I mean, I kissed the ground. I swore I'd never fly again. I broke that promise. But I was terrified. I thought, sure, I was going to die. In fact, I walked off the plane, and the co-pilot was there apologizing to everyone, saying, saying, saying things like, we should have never taken off. That's real encouraging, huh? Should have never taken off. And it was horrible. And I thought that night in that plane I was going to die. I, seriously, in that plane I'm saying, Jesus, I'm coming home, you know, because it was intense. It was horrible. Well, the disciples knew what storms could be like on this lake. This one was so bad that they feared for their life. They were convinced they were going to drown. But what was Jesus doing? He sound asleep in the stern of the boat, apparently oblivious to everything that's going on. And But before we go any further, I want to ask you guys a couple of honest questions. And don't reply out loud, but but reply honestly in your heart. Ever been in a storm and felt like Jesus was taking a nap? Have you ever felt like God was oblivious to your situation and unaware of what was going on in your life? And let's be painfully honest. Have you ever wondered if God really even cares? About a month ago, I was going through a pretty rough time. Um, Just some things were happening in one particular relationship and uh, some other things and I won't go into the details, but I, you know, I was, I was in the storm and I went up to my favorite place up on the hill to pray and I'm sitting there and I'm complaining to God. You ever complain to God in prayer? <laughs> you know, David did it in the Psalms, so I figured if David can do it, I can do it. So I'm, I'm up there and I'm basically just whining and, you know, I'm complaining to God. God, why is this happening? I wish, you know, and, and I thought of this story and I said, God, I just need you to calm my storm. Just, just put an end to all this stuff. And like that, without any hesitation, it was not an audible voice, but in my heart, here's what God said back to me. Wrong prayer. And I'm like, what do you mean wrong prayer? And I have my Bible sitting next to me on the car seat, and I grabbed it to flip to find this story, because I'm going to read it to God. 
I'm going to straighten him out. Let me show you here, Lord, why I have biblical basis for saying, calm this storm, I don't want to be here. And as I read this story, I had, I had this epiphany, I had this revelation from God. Who did Jesus speak to first when He got woke up? He didn't speak to the storm first. He spoke to the disciples. Look at it again, verse 25. The disciples went and woke Him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Verse 26, He replied to them, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Who did He speak to first? He spoke to the disciples. Guys, why do you have such small faith? Why are you afraid? Then it says, then He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. I want you to see the picture very clearly what's going on here. Jesus is, is wakened from a deep sleep, brought on by complete exhaustion. You know, this, this uh, storm hits, and, and He's sound asleep. I don't know how, but there He was, sound asleep in the midst of the storm. The disciples basically get in His face. I mean, see Jesus lying there on the, you know, whatever, on the boat, and Jesus! We're going to drown. Wake up. Lord, save us. And before he does anything about the storm, he looks at these guys who are probably drenched and, you know, a little pale and maybe filling their own bags, you know, and says, guys, why, are, why do you have such little faith? Why are you so afraid? And I imagine at this point, Peter's about ready to go from fear to anger. You know, anger is a secondary emotion. And I think Peter's at this point about ready to have words with Jesus. You know, I, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, but I, you know Peter, right? What do you, <clears throat> Lord? But why did Jesus speak to them before he spoke to the storm? Well, here's the insight the Lord gave me that day on the hill. A couple of things. Number one in your outline. The secret to survival in the storm is to snuggle up with Jesus and rest. The secret to survival in the storm is to snuggle up with Jesus and rest. Now, I know that may not sound very spiritual, but it is. To snuggle up with Jesus means we draw near to him And we relax. We rest. The best thing the disciples could have done that night on the lake in that storm was to find a spot next to Jesus and to take a nap. It's counterintuitive. It's just the opposite of our natural inclinations. We usually try and do everything we can, you know, anything and everything we can to get ourselves out of a pickle. We get in trouble. We're in the storm. What do we do? We work harder. We try and do what we can do. We figure it out. We stress. We fight. Whatever it is. And then when that doesn't work, what do we do? Then we turn to God. And you've got to see the, the disciples. I'm sure that they're bailing as quick as they can. They've, you know, whatever they've got. They're trying to get the water dealt, you know, and, and trying to steer that boat, trying to get to shore. Wind's blowing against them. Waves are huge. White caps everywhere. They did what they could. Didn't work. Okay, let's try Jesus. Wake up. Help us. You see, when it dawns on us that all our work is not enough, that's usually when we turn to God and expect Him to fix everything and to fix it immediately. But nothing demonstrates our faith or our God confidence better than to rest in God in the midst of the storm. Now, don't misunderstand me. It is good and it is right to cry out to God. You're in the storm. It's good to say, oh God, please help me. It is a good and right thing to turn to Him. It is Great to cry out to Him in the midst of our situations. But what I want you to see today is I believe the first thing we need to do, the first thing we must do is draw near to Him and rest. Because that's where we find hope in the midst of the storm. I love what David wrote in Psalm 62. He said, My soul finds rest in God. 
alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. It's almost now as if David's saying, here's the truth, and now he's speaking to his soul, to to himself. Find rest in God alone. My hope comes from Him. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in Him at all times. Not out of the storm, not once it's passed, not once he's dealt with it, but in the midst of it. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I know this is hard to hear, especially if you're in the midst of a storm right now. But before we get out of our storm, we need to get something from it. That's the lesson God taught me on the hill that day. Before we get out of our storm, we need to get something from it. We need to understand that God can and does want us to learn something in the storm, in the midst of it. That's why for me that day it was the wrong prayer. I had skipped a a step in the process. I had gone to immediately get me out of here now, God, fix all of this. Where I wasn't at the place that I should have been where I'm saying, Oh God, I'm going to choose to rest in you. I don't get this. I don't like this. I don't understand this but I'm going to snuggle up next to you and find my rest, find my hope in you. Most of the time, you and I are just like the disciples. We are typically just like them. We just want out and we want out now. But there is no better place to grow than in the storms of life. Now that's not something we really like, is it? How many of you are just excited about that truth? Yeah. Oh, goody, you know, bring it on, God. But the truth is, there's no better place for us to grow than in the midst of those storms. Many years ago, I worked um, for Great Western Bank in South Florida, West Palm Beach, for a small item processing and data processing shop that they had there. And uh, when I applied for the job, when I went to interview, I found out that the man that I would be reporting to if I got the job was a Christian. So I'm thinking, this is cool. And, you know, he saw my resume and that I, you know, been to Bible school and blah, 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 and been in ministry. And so he found out I was a Christian. And so about half the interview, we're talking about the Lord. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, this is pretty neat. And long story short, I got the job. And here's what I'm thinking. This is going to be the most awesome job I've ever had because I get to report to a to a Christian boss in the business world, which has never happened for me before. And I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. About two weeks into the job, reality hit me and it dawned on me. This guy is the meanest, angriest guy I've ever known in my life. And the, I had about 20 employees that reported to me, and then I reported to him, and all of them despised this man. They hated him. And it put me in a, a difficult situation because they knew I was a Christian, they knew he was a Christian, and so at first they were terrified of me just because they thought, well, if that's the way Christians are, then, you know, danger, danger. And so I, I'm, I'm in this frustrating situation. And I become the mediator, the middle guy, and trying to deal with stuff. And I'm thinking, God, this is just not right. And here was my prayer. It was very spiritual. God, kill him. <laughs> or get me out of there. I mean, I did have that part on there too. But pretty much, I, Lord, either take him out or take me out because I just don't want to be in this situation anymore. And you know what God said to me every time? I remember one time in particular, I'm up on the roof. We had this pole that we'd run the bag up with checks and a helicopter would come and actually grab the pole without landing. It was kind of cool. So I would volunteer often to go up there because it was fun. I'm up on the roof and I'm waiting for the helicopter to come and I'm just, I'm I'm in tears. I mean, God, I cannot deal with this man. I cannot deal with this situation. Please, please. And every time I pleaded to God, 
You know what he said to me? Kurt, grow where you're planted. I've got you here for a reason. Just grow where you're planted. And I became personally and intimately familiar in a whole new way with verses found in Romans 5 and one here in James 1. Let me read to you. One that you probably have heard. None of us really like. Dear brothers and sisters, whatever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. I look back now and I see so many things that God taught me during that time. So many things that He did to transform my character in the midst of that storm. I want you to listen very carefully to me because some of you need to hear this today. God is not mean. He's not. He's not forgotten you. He's not left you to yourself and abandoned you. But He is absolutely committed to your growth. Absolutely committed to your spiritual growth. And so what do you do when the storms hit and you're tempted to freak out? Well, first you snuggle up with Jesus and rest. And then how do you have a big faith and no fear? Well, let me quickly give you a few things to consider. Number two in your outline. You get perspective by remembering these three things. Letter A, remember who is in your boat. Sounds so simple. But let's, again, be very honest. Isn't that the struggle we have? We're in the midst of this thing and we completely forget that God's there and we really do feel all alone. But Jesus, the miracle worker, was right there with them. Keep in mind, all day long. And that wasn't the first day. But all that day they'd seen Jesus heal a guy of leprosy. I mean... You know, the guy had all these body parts missing and holes and, and rotting flesh. And boom! Healed, skin like a baby. God healed him. They saw all day long, all the way throughout the evening, God come and do miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw what Jesus did. But somehow in the midst of that storm, they lost sight of who was in their boat. I want you to remember that Jesus is. The promise is that He's with you always and forever. Remember the truth of Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, you are with me. Remember who is in your boat. Let her be. Remember who really is in ultimate control. Remember who really is in ultimate control. The Bible says that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and always everywhere. I mean, from beginning to end, that's what's taught in the Scripture. That's what's clearly communicated about God. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and always everywhere. And I know there are times when it seems like no one is in control and that everything's just being sucked down into this you know, black hole. But despite what we think, despite what we see, despite what we feel, in fact, in those times especially, we need to stop and remember that the key to crisis control is Christ control. The key to Christ's control is Christ control. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. There's that perspective thing again. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Paul says... God is able to bring everything, everything under His control. 
you've got to remember who really is in ultimate control, no matter what you're facing. And then one last thing to remember, let her see. Remember that no matter what is happening now, now is not forever. Remember that no matter what, I know it's hard. I'm not making light of the struggle, the storm that you're facing. But you've got to remember that no matter what is happening now, now is not forever. I read at the beginning from 2 Corinthians 4. Let me read verse 18 to you again. Paul says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. We don't look at this and all the stuff, the troubles that we can see. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over. That's good news, guys. The troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. You see, as Christ followers, we have a perspective on life that is not fatalistic and it's not pessimistic either. It's not a woe is me, everything really stinks, isn't life horrible. That's not the view God calls us to have. We have an, an eternal hope that sustains us and it carries us through the storms. This eternal perspective that says, I don't get this, I don't even like this, but I'm going to look beyond this and see there's another day coming. Some Christians misunderstand God's promise. They mistakenly think that He's promised us an easy life. And if I am bursting a bubble today for you, sorry, but God has not promised you an easy life. What He's promised is an eternal life, not necessarily an easier one. Greg Lavoie put it this way, and I love this quote. He said this, Jesus promised those who would follow Him three things. That they would be absurdly happy. That's all the blessed blessings. Whenever you see the word blessed, it means fortunate or happy. That we would be absurdly happy, entirely fearless, through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, and always in trouble. I like that. It's true. He's promised us these three things. You're going you're to be blessed. Absurdly happy. Fearless. Because you'll have that power of the Holy Spirit within you that will empower you to go beyond what you could ever do on your own. And count on this, you're going to always be in trouble. So no matter what you face today, remember this, today is not forever. No matter what you're going through right now, I want you to be encouraged by this truth. Today is going to pass. And that tomorrow or forever is coming. What do you do? Get a perspective. Remember who's in your boat. Remember who really is in ultimate control. And remember that no matter what is happening now, now is not forever. Truth is, no one likes storms. I don't like them. As much as I know and believe, and I really do know and believe, that there's going to be some growth, that it's going to be good for me, ultimately something good can come from this. As much as I know that, I, I, I still, to be honest with you, I don't really sit around saying, God, would you, I'm missing the storm here. Lord, would you bring me another storm? I need more storms in my life. I mean, has anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, bring me more, you know. Usually it's not that kind of more we're asking for. No one likes the storms, but no one grows without them. I'm going to have the band come back up. I'm going to ask you if you would just close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. I do not take lightly the fact that some of you 
are despairing. That some of you have been overwhelmed by the unexpected furious storm. I'm not trying to just put a positive spin on things and to say, oh well, you know, just suck it up, you'll be fine. I, I understand the pain, the agony, the misery, the struggle. I get that. But I also want you to know today that Jesus has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. That He's right there. And that somehow He really does want, in the midst of this time, for you to have a life-transforming encounter with Him. And here's what I want to do this morning. Honey, would you come to the keyboard? I don't know where the band's at, but would you play the keyboard for me? Here's what. Keep your eyes closed. I want you just to right now see Jesus. See Him right there willing to stand next to you. Willing to empower and strengthen and encourage you. Willing to help you in the midst of your storm. And I want to ask you right now in the midst of this time to make a choice to say, Dear God, I need you to help me right here, right now in the midst of this. And if you're here today, I, I, I know, and I promise not to embarrass you. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to bring the house lights down if you would, Teresa, a little bit. But I'm going to ask you right now this morning, if you're here and you need prayer, and I'm not going to single you out, but I am going to ask you to stand. If you're in the midst of a storm right now, would you just stand right where you're at? Go ahead. Good, all around the auditorium. Just stand. You're saying, God, I'm here in the storm and I'm, I'm in need of you. I promise I'm not going to single you out. But, and there's a few more of you. You're sitting there thinking, I don't want to stand. What's he going to do? I'm just going to pray for you. But by standing, what you're saying is, Lord, I want you to meet me in the midst of this storm right now. Right here in the midst of what I'm facing, I ask you to come. Good. Good. Go ahead. Just stand. Now I'm going to ask some of you around these that are standing, if you just put your hands on their shoulders, or just stand with them just for a moment. You don't need to do anything or say anything. Just I want them to feel the touch of a human hand to remind them that God's hand is there as well. And I want to pray for you. Yeah, make sure everybody that's standing has somebody. Father, we come to you this morning. And the cry of our heart, God, is that we desperately need you. We need you, Lord, in the midst of this storm to reveal yourself to us. We need you to remind us, God, that you're here, and that you've not abandoned us, you've not forsaken us. And though we have felt all alone, perhaps, though we have questioned and wondered and struggled, maybe we've even questioned you and your love for us. Lord, right here, right now, I pray with all of my heart, God, reveal Yourself. Reveal Your glory. Reveal Your power. Reveal Your love to these people. And speak to their hearts, Lord, in the midst of the storm, that You're here, that You're with them. That, yea, though they walk to the valley of the shadow of death, they need not fear evil for one reason, because You are with them. 
Lord, I pray that in this moment they would just draw near to you, that they would see themselves snuggling up next to you. And that under the shadow of your wings, that they would rest there, God. That they would find your comfort there. Holy Spirit, you are called the comforter. Would you come alongside just as the hands of of those around them are are on them now. I pray, Lord, that you would just come, Holy Spirit, and, and wrap your arms around them. Be the comforter. Be the one who embraces them and holds them. And breathe, Lord, into their hearts right now. Breathe into their hearts the hope of God. And Lord, every one of us in this room, if we're not in the midst of a storm now, if we haven't stood today, we we may be able to stand tomorrow or next week. Lord, every one of us face this reality. No one lives a storm-free existence. And it's my prayer today, Lord Jesus, that you would just burn in our hearts the truth that when we're there, we need to run to you, come to you, draw near to you. And then have that perspective that only comes from you. Prepare us, Lord, for the storms to come. Prepare us, I pray, in Jesus' name.